0: Welcome to Celebrate Poe, episode 168 from a horror movie. The music for the opening and ending to this podcast episode is from Come Rest in This Bosom, said to be Edgar Allan Poe's favorite song. Before Celebrate Poe continues with the writer's last years with the Allens and before Poe begins his career as one of America's greatest Uh, literary giants I'd like to go back and look at his boyhood and youth again and much, uh, well hopefully most of this information will be totally new to you Uh, and uh, while uh, some of this may be information that you may have already heard if you've listened to earlier episodes of this podcast uh, I think most of it is going to be brand new information Uh, The overall purpose of this podcast uh, is, after all, to provide some uh, interesting information that will act as a transition to Poe's development as a great writer. Well, if it isn't the ghost of Mr. Poe. Well, hello, Mr. Poe. Greetings, Mr. Bartley. Now, Mr. Poe, I believe where we left off last week, or should I say yesterday, uh, it was uh, spring of 1815, uh, and uh, we were at a stage where Mr. Allen was deciding to move the family to England for business purposes to establish a new branch of his company. Uh, Yes, Mr. Botley, uh, there had been a significant slum in the fortunes in Richmond, and Mr. Allen felt the mercantile climate of London would be more favorable to his economic interests. It seems that Mr. Allen strongly felt that the mercantile climate of London would be more friendly. Yes, I cannot emphasize this enough. Mr. Allen may have also felt that it would be easier to renew trading relationships with the tobacco importers of London. Uh, Yes, it does appear, Mr. Poe, uh, that Mr. Allen was definitely a dedicated businessman. Yes, Mr. Bartley. So, at the end of June, we set sail on the Lothar that spelled L-O-T-H-A-I-R for Liverpool. Well, Mr. Poe, uh, how long did uh, that journey take? Well, Mr. Bartley, the the journey across the Atlantic to Liverpool took approximately five weeks. Uh, The party consisted of John Allen, Francis Allen, Anne Moore Valentine, myself, uh, uh, yes, uh, and oh yes, uh, 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 this we also had a black slave known only, only as Thomas. Uh, Mister Poe, uh, who was this Anne Moore Valentine? Oh, Mister Bartley, she was sister as well as close companion to Francis Allen. I assume, then, this was your first time on the ocean. Yes, Mr. Bartley, and and John Allen reported that Ned, he often called me Ned, cared but little about it, poor fellow. And after we finished crossing the Atlantic, John Allen reported that I asked, "'Paul, say something for me. Say I was not afraid coming across the sea.'" Mr. Poe, uh, this might suggest that you were trying to conceal your fears. Uh, Mr. Bartley, this is possible. Well, Mr. Poe, tell us about your first activities in London. Actually, Mr. Bartley, uh, we first docked in Liverpool on the 29th of July, and we did not travel directly to London at first. Initially, John Allen wanted to visit his relations in Scotland. There were sisters at Irvine and Kilmarnock and other relatives in Greenock, from where we then traveled on Scotland for two months. Uh, Mr. Poe, where did you spend most of your time in Scotland? Well, Mr. Poe... Partly that would have been in Edinburgh. Oh, yes, and I almost forgot about Glasgow, too. Then, at the beginning of October, the Allens took a carriage to London. Mr. Allen rented lodgings in Southampton Row, just south of Russell Square, where we all soon caught cold from the damp and heavy London air. But I imagine, Mr. Poe, you did enjoy the excitement of the big city. Yes, Mr. Bartley, as a young boy, I was most curious to explore my neighborhood, which included fashionable Russell Square and Bloomsbury Square. The nearest green space, Queens Square, lay opposite the Allen Flat, down Little Ormond Street on Southampton Row. You know, Mr. Poe, I'm somewhat familiar with that area. In fact, the site where London University was later built is just a few blocks from where you lived in London. London University just began offering an MA in podcasting, a first for England. But returning to my life in London, like almost any child in a new location, especially a child who was very curious about the world, I was most excited to see the sights of the neighborhood where we lived. The Allens lived in London literally a few minutes by foot away from the British Museum. The museum, the British Museum, was founded in 1753 and by 1815 had an excellent collection of archaeological artifacts, including including the Rosetta Stone. Uh, Mr. Poe, you must have been fascinated. Uh, Mr. Botley, the collection was most agreeable. At the British Museum, I formed an idea of the glory that was Greece by gazing on God's goddesses and such mythic forms, such as centaurs, and I was able to gauge the grandeur of Rome through heroic sculptures and busts. At the British Museum, I saw Egyptian treasures, including mummies and sarcophagi, and marveled at the immense bust of Ramesses II. The museum was free and open to the public three afternoons weekly and presented an irresistible attraction to me. Mr. Poe, I can imagine that you saw exhibits at the British Museum uh, that were to greatly influence your future writings. Uh, but, but returning to my structured academic studies... In April of 1816, I was enrolled at a boarding school in Sloane Street, superintended by two sisters known as Mrs. Dubourg. It is said that my progress in the school was such that I was enrolled for tuition in another school. Mr. Poe, what school was that? Well, Mr. Bartley, that was the Manor House School in Stoke Newington, under the aegis of Reverend John Bransby, or should I say the Reverend John Bransby. It was located in what was then a country village, but was only five miles from the huge city of London. Stoke Newington had an ancient church and a number of fine old houses. In fact, Daniel Defoe had once lived in the same street as the school. Here I studied Latin and the traditional subjects, as well as some dancing lessons. Well, Mr. Poe, do you have any idea what uh, this Reverend Bransby thought of you as a student? Oh, yes, Mr. Bartley, he later said that I was a quick and clever boy and would have been a very good boy uh, if uh, I had not been spoiled by my parents. But they spoiled me, according to Mr. Bransby, or Miss Reverend Bransby, Bransby, and allowed me an extravagant amount of pocket money, which enabled me to get into all manner of mischief. On another occasion, the Reverend Bransby described me as intelligent, wayward, and willful. Well, Mr. Poe, I I get the impression uh, that the school left quite an impression on you. Oh, yes, Mr. Bartley, I I named the rector of the school in my story William Wilson— the Reverend John Bransby, and many say I fashioned his dialogue after the Reverend Bransby of my youth. Most people believe the story is set in a school similar to the one I attended in England, though some might say that the narrative is quite heightened. I fashioned my description of the school in the story as a a ponderous and roomy establishment with innumerable floors and chambers and no end to its windings. I was always acutely sensitive to buildings, and this quaint and gothic structure gave me cause for what one might call imaginative contemplation. In William Wilson, I wrote about the dusky atmosphere of a musty-looking village, words that could be used to describe a village like Stoke Newington. But, Mr. Poe, did you enjoy your time at Stoke Newington? Uh, no, Mr. Bartley, I have to say that for the most part, I, I cannot claim those years as, as, as a pleasant period. I, I was to tell a friend later that my school days in England had been sad, lonely, and unhappy. Mr Poe, I'm I'm very sorry. Well, Mr Bartley, one might say that I was surrounded by sons of the gentry. I saw how prep schools prepared wealthy young British males for lives of privilege. John Allen may temporarily have had means to an extent, but nevertheless I knew that I stood out as an American and basically the ward of a dry goods merchant. If I was not the poorest boy in the school, I may have been among the lowest in social standing. There was... A, this this was a culture preoccupied with rank and status. Oh, there, there was the market prosperity of 1818 that probably allowed John Allen to send me to Stoke Newington in the first place. But all this unfortunately ended when abruptly, in 1819 the tobacco market collapsed. I'm certainly sorry, Mr. Poe. Mr. Bartley, I feel that my state of unhappiness was shared by Frances Allen on some level. She never really felt comfortable with life in London and and occasionally suffered from a, a number of unspecified ailments in the five years of residence. John Allen would frequently write in his correspondence... About Frances complaining as usual, and, at a later date, complaining a good deal. Frances Allen went down to Cheltenham to sample the waters, but nothing could alleviate her distress. I I hate to sound repetitious, but but I'm sorry for your circumstances. Ah, but Mr. Botley, it gets even worse. You see, in 1819, a sudden collapse in the price of tobacco on the London market completely threatened John Allen's business, and he was faced with the possibility of complete financial ruin. His debts grew larger and larger, and finally John Allen decided to give up the mercantile life in order to become a farmer or planner. John Allen decided to leave England, and to return with his family to his adopted country of the United States. So on the 16th of June in 1820, the family set sail from Liverpool on the Martha. We had crossed the seas with such high hopes, but now felt that returning to Virginia was our only choice. We docked in New York almost six weeks later, and then took the steamboat to Richmond. Well, Mr. Poe, I'd like to conclude this episode with some remarks about a story that could have very well taken place at Stoke Newington. Uh, Many scholars have said that that, uh, your descriptions of the boarding school in William Wilson closely resemble Stoke Newington. Now, William Wilson is the story of a narrator whose double haunts him from an early age. In the story, The narrator attends uh, an English boarding school and uh, becomes an excellent student, almost the best in his class. But there is one boy who appears to be better than him, and for some strange reason, he has the same name, William Wilson. It seems that this second William Wilson is always undermining the narrator in front of his classmates, so you have this narrator thinking of the second William Wilson as a rival, while at the same time he's a little afraid of him. This becomes even stranger when he learns that they join the school on the same day and even dress in similar clothes. Many of the students even believe that they are brothers. In other words, the two boys act and look like each other. At first, it is not really clear, and, and I think this is deliberate, about whether the other person is his doppel- doppelganger, his double, or if the other person is just a fantasy. In the story, uh, the narrator says this about his double, or uh, William Wilson too. And would you read this section, Mr. Poe? You mean this paragraph here? Why, certainly. Wilson's rebellion was to me a source of the greatest embarrassment, the more so as in spite of the bravado with which in public I made a point of treating him and his pretensions, I secretly felt that I feared him, and could not help thinking the equality which he maintained so easily with myself a proof of his true superiority— since not to be overcome cost me a perpetual struggle. Yet this superiority, even this equality, was in truth acknowledged by no one but myself. Our associates, by some unaccountable blindness, seemed not even to suspect it. But this first William Wilson... Uh, becomes more and more intimidated by the second William Wilson as the novel continues uh, and uh the narrator tries to be the dominant one of the two, or does he uh this narrator and uh by uh this i mean William Wilson one sometimes makes really bad decisions. Sometimes it seems the William Wilson, too, is able to possess another body, like a a Spider-Man symbiote who is able to meld his mind with a superpower. I I tell you, in some respects, uh, Mr. Poe, you were definitely ahead of your time. But back to William Wilson. The confusing thing here is that the reader uh, can only really see through the narrator's eyes like the murderer in The Tell-Tale Heart. He, well, could be a very, um, very well be an unreliable narrator. We don't really know to what extent. It's sometimes impossible, and I think this was Mr. Poe's intent, for the reader to fully understand what is reality and what is the narrator's imagination and how they might meld, again, The Tell-Tale Heart. Not surprisingly, the encounters between William Wilson 1 and William Wilson 2 get weirder and weirder, so William Wilson 1 moves to another town. He busies himself with all kinds of activities and seems to totally forget about William Wilson 2. Then one night, and then this sounds like uh, something from a a horror movie. Now, Mr. Poe, would you read this section, please? It was on a gloomy night of an early autumn about the close of my fifth year at the school, and immediately after the altercation just mentioned that finding everyone wrapped in sleep, I rose from bed and lamp in hand stole through a wilderness of narrow passages from my own bedroom to that of my rival. I had been long plotting one of those ill-natured pieces of practical wit at his expense in which I had hitherto been so uniformly unsuccessful. It was my intention now to put my scheme in operation and I resolved to make him feel the whole extent of the malice with which I was imbued. Having reached his closet... I noiselessly entered, leaving the lamp with a shade over it on the outside. I advanced a step and listened to the sound of his tranquil breathing. Assured of his being asleep, I returned, took the light, and with it again approached the bed. Close curtains were around it, which, in the pre- prosecution of my plan, I slowly and quietly withdrew, when the bright rays fell vividly upon the sleeper, and my eyes at the same moment upon his countenance. I looked, and a numbness and iciness of feeling instantly pervaded my frame. My breast heaved, my knees tottered, my whole spirit became possessed with an objectless yet intolerable horror. "'Gasping for breath, I lowered the lamp "'in still nearer proximity to the face. "'Were these, these the lineaments of William Wilson? "'I saw indeed that they were his, "'but I shook as with a bit of the ague "'in fancying they were not. "'What was there about them to confound me in this manner?' I gazed while my brain reeled with a multitude of incoherent thoughts. Not thus he appeared, assuredly not thus, in the vivacity of his waking hours. The same name, the same contour of person, the same day of arrival at the academy, and then his dogged and meaningless imitation of my gait "'my voice, my habits, and my manner. "'What was it in truth "'within the bounds of human possibility "'that what I now saw "'was the result of the habitual practice "'of this sarcastic imitation? "'Awe-stricken and with a creeping shudder "'I extinguished the lamp, "'passed silently from the chamber, "'and left at once "'the halls of that old academy, "'never to enter them again.' Thank you, Mr. Poe. Thank you for your patience in in listening to my yammering and then reading aloud that especially exciting portion of William Wilson. I am hoping that you'll return for the next episode of this podcast to talk about the Allens returning to Richmond. Certainly, Mr. Botley. But for now, I must say farewell to you and the listeners of Celebrate Poe. Farewell. Goodbye, Mr. Poe. The next episode of Celebrate Poe starts with the Allen family back in Richmond after five years in England, a period this podcast has talked about before, but this time with some new information that I think you'll really enjoy. Sources include Poe by Peter Ackroyd. Edgar Allan Poe, a critical biography by author Hobson Quinn, The Poe Log, a documentary life of Edgar Allan Poe by Dwight R. Thomas and David K. Jackson, and William Wilson by Edgar Allan Poe from The Complete Works of Edgar Allan Poe. Why not visit my podcast website at celebratepoe.buzzsprout.com. Click on the episode you want to learn more about to see its show notes and a transcript. And thank you for listening to Celebrate Pope.